now tapped in with the introspective father and son duo. Last name may be strange, but never strangers to the game. Adjust the listening devices and keep it live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ay, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win, yeah. LABB, who we running with, yeah. Two, two, three, three, I'm on 10 again, yeah. State your name. Hello, and welcome to another installment of No Strangers to the Game. Uh, it's been a, a week since our last episode, as it is every week. Um, and just to check in, um, I wanted to ask you, Dad, Troy, uh, what, as we always do, what kind of happened this week? Or if you'd rather go another direction, what is coming up in this week that, you know, you're excited about or concerned about or anything in that nature? Um, you know, just been exploring um, with different things that I haven't really done very much in the past, um, particularly with investing, um, cryptocurrency, just kind of been, you know, talking to some guys I know who are investors and they gave me a few chips and, you know, that's one of the things that I, you know, the last couple of weeks I've done and, you know, amazingly it has uh, <laughs> done well up to this point. It's very volatile, obviously, but, you know, for what I invested and, you know, where it's at it right now, as far as, you know, the value and what to get in on, um, it's, you know, very low risk, but the potential um, is pretty high, you know, so that's been something interesting. Um, you know, the weather's gotten a lot colder, you know, um, got to the point where it even snowed um, in one of the cities in Palm Springs. Uh, obviously, it didn't stick, but, you know, snowed and we got into freezing temperatures. So that's very rare, um, particularly in this day and age out here in the desert. I know growing up, we used to get some cold weather um, during the winter, get down into the 30s and freezing temperatures. But, you know, I guess global warming or climate change has uh, changed that. So I've noticed that. But overall, it's just been trying to, you know, get back into the swing of thing and, um, you know, look forward to 2021 and uh, making it great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me this past week, I've been kind of in quarantine because I traveled from home out back to school here in Kansas. Um, so I had to kind of isolate for at least a week. I got my test and so we're good. But yeah, it's just been a weird week because of a lot of things going on, but I'm sitting in the house really doing nothing. Uh, but there's a lot happening. Um, so we're going to get into a couple of things. But uh, today, and it'll, this will be past, you know, once this episode comes out, you probably have heard about this, but um, the cryptocurrencies and a few other stocks are really doing really well because I think people have just started to kind of take matters in their own hands as a population or as a mass of, pop of people, as opposed to just, you know, the wealthy or hedge fund managers and stuff like that. Um, invested into, it was I, the main two that I've heard of were GameStop and AMC um, and Robinhood, which is one of the, I guess, common trading apps, actually put a stop to the trading because one of their major investors was on the other side losing money because they basically bet against um, those stocks. And so it's kind of this revolutionary moment in time where things are, we're putting a lot of things in perspective and we'll see what the outcome is. Um, but it will be interesting to see um, along with that, um, have a track meet this weekend. First meet, I would not be jumping, but I will be sprinting. Um, so, I mean, I'm really excited. I wish I was jumping, doing what I'm best at, but just excited to go out and compete after basically a year of not competing. So, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be exciting. 
Um, but I, I'm also excited to talk about today's topic. Um, something obviously very you know near and dear to my heart is the future of sports. And I guess that can be the title or, you know, whatever. But <laughs> to give, a, if I want to give an overview of sports and mainly what we're talking about is kind of the sport itself as a, and as the business of the sports. Um, sports from the beginning of time was something that people did for fun. And then after a very short period of time, a long, long time ago, it became something that was entertainment for other people to watch, to take part in or that, or otherwise. Um, I guess you could say the modern era of sports is as people have had more time and money on their hands, uh, we decided that sport could become a major entertainment, um, you know, factor or a major entertainment faction, uh, whether, and the first major sport to become that was baseball, you know, in America, you saw baseball games, you know, boasting crowds of upwards of 50 60,000 people and obviously that meant a lot of money was coming in and out of those stadiums um, and that was the beginning I guess you could say then they got into advertising that was one of the first things in baseball was you saw the billboards right above the scoreboard or the billboards in the um, wall and outfield and it became this advertising pull and push that became this huge thing. And now companies were backing it. They were getting on major networks when TV was starting to really get big. Um, and you saw this major revolution in sports because it drew eyes. And as it drew eyes, it could draw dollars. And so it became a big thing. Um, I think that kind of brings us to where we are now. That kind of has you know persisted for a long time now. You've seen um, NASCAR, those cars are basically driving billboards that's all they are that's all they really are to be completely honest they put stickers and logos all over those cars and you know that's kind of where we've gotten but i think what we've seen is there's gonna have to be there's gonna have to be something to change right because although advertising will always be around there will always be money to make on that another big driving force was i mentioned was you know the people in the stands those ticket sales uh, that was a huge portion of the revenue for the longest time. If you And we've seen throughout time, we've built these, you know, I guess you could, a lot of people call them monuments, these huge stadiums that seat hundred thousands, you know, however many people, everybody keeps trying to build them bigger and bigger and bigger. But I think COVID has taught us that that may not be the future of sports. Uh, it may not be to have a hundred thousand people packed in a stadium, breathing on top of each other, you know, and hopefully we get past COVID and we can go to games and, enjoy them in person in larger crowds but i think people may look at this differently after what we've gone through in the year 2020. um so i want to ask you in your opinion i have a set of opinions on my end but what would you say is the future of revenue generation after covid well um i would say one of the first things is kind of that virtual experience they can find a way to monetize that they have may have already done that to where I can from home, uh, you know, pay 20 bucks and feel like I'm in the front row seat sitting next to Jack Nicholas at a Lakers game. Yeah. I mean, that would that right there would be incredible if you could have that full experience here Jack, courtside. Jack Nicholson, by the way, Jack Nicholas was the golfer. Jack Nicholson is a longtime Lakers fan, but go ahead. <laughs> I was just making sure you was <laughs> <laughs> and um, just having those type of experiences where you can feel like you're there. Yeah. I think that would probably, um, you know, send the revenue a hundredfold 
just that alone, not only with people being there, but now being able to sell this experience at home where you can feel like you're there when you're actually sitting in your living room. So to me, those are some really, that's a big opportunity, big option. And um, as you know, and you turned me on to um, this whole new phenomenon is still in beta testing with the top shot, the digital yeah. moments, you know, yeah. so I see just like anything that comes to fruition, at some point in time, it becomes an opportunity to re generate revenue. And then as it generates revenue, a lot of times it becomes democratized, meaning that it has, it's accessible to the majority of the people. You know, things when they first come out, it's usually accessible to the more wealthier, high income people. And then it becomes democratized to the point of where the average everyday citizen will have access to it. So I see the same with sports um, in terms of virtual experience, um, these virtual moments. And I'm sure there's other things that, you know, I haven't even thought about. Um, they're already into the gaming where, you know, sports teams have ventured in and invested into gamers who would play video games to represent those um, sports organizations. So yeah. I can see the technology is really changing it. And it's going to really help to enhance and increase the revenue as well as the experience and engagement from everyday citizens. Yeah, to go back, um, so I can kind of just go over the things you talked about. With the virtual experience, that's something that we saw them play with in the bubble, right? Was the, they had the virtual fans behind there, there were celebrities, you know, any common person could get on there and just cheer on your team um, in a virtual experience because they couldn't have um, fans in the building. So I think it's funny that our innovation of the virtual experience comes from our limitations of not having the in-person experience. But it's interesting that there is really no limitations on the virtual experience, right? Which I think is funny. And I think the ethics of it is something that needs to be discussed further. But I mean, realistically, you talked about, hey, we could put you and you put on, what is it? The, the, the virtual reality goggles and you're sitting at the game and you're watching the game and you're next to Jack Nicholson and you know, there's whoever, whatever celebrities and you feel like you're courtside at a Lakers game. Well, that can be one person or that could, they could just feed that live stream to, you know, a hundred million people. Now the ethics of that, I don't know, but I mean- I mean, that's what, what, what would it matter? <laughs> you know, you're not there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't think that would be, I wouldn't have a problem with it because yeah. the experience is that I'm doing it from my living room and that experience you can't take away from me because, you know, I, I bought it, essentially. Uh, yeah, and so the, the limitations, there really is none on the virtual experience because of technology. I mean, I don't know the count, but I know it was over, what, 3 billion people who have access to the internet? Um, yeah. So that's over half of the world's population that could be sitting courtside at a Lakers game, you know what I mean? And so... Um, there's a lot of obviously with that there's a lot of opportunity for revenue tons of it and so that's interesting um, they as you you mentioned these digital moments what their technical term is nfts which means non-fungible tokens um, in a brief description it's kind of it's a weird concept still to me i'm still trying to fathom it but essentially what they are is kind of digital trading cards um, you know trading cards started back i believe in I don't know, the early 20th century, early 1900s, um, really with baseball cards, you had players, you know, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, all these players and, you know, people love them. So they wanted to have a token 
of that player in their house. So they'd buy a trading card and if you could get it signed, that would be great. Um, after a while, people started to trade them because they put values on them, right? A Mickey Mantle and a Babe Ruth have great value. Um, then they started to buy, they became big business because people say, well, that was a hundred years ago. A Babe Ruth card with a signature on it now is worth who knows how much. Um, and I guess people started to say, well, why can't we do that digitally? And I have reasons why I wonder why that's a thing, but people are into them. You can go on and you can see a play. It's really the NBA that's starting it. It's called Top Shot. Um, and it's these digital moments of plays. You have LeBron. Uh, recently, he hit the three-pointer and he turned around and looked at his bench. They took that play. They minted it with the blockchain, which basically mints these digital moments. And now people are trading them for up to $200 a pop. And they minted 12,000 of them. And realistically, they can mint as many of them as they want because, once again, these are all virtual. It's just digital. They can just make copies of them. Um, and, they, you know, there's things that they wouldn't do that or wouldn't do that to affect the market. But basically what we're getting at is that the future of sports is going to change, but there's tons of revenue, you know, to be had. I think one thing that we need to address, though, before we keep going about the revenue and generation of things is specifically in the sport of football, right? I know you've had injuries. I've had my own injuries with football and I didn't even play, you know, through high school. So there have been talks. I mean, long ago, they were talking about disbanding football because people were dying. Then they upgraded equipment and it became a bit safer. But as we move to a more advanced society, people still sit here and say, well, we don't want people breaking bones and getting CTE and losing their minds in old age. And, you know, we've heard very tragic stories of people committing suicide because of dealing with CTE and other things. So what do you think is the future of, I mean, sports in general, I think as we talk about people can get injured and we can digitize these things and make it a video game or take their likeness and image and play it out. What do you think the future of these sports are as people may say, that's not a risk we want to take anymore? Well, I think it's a great chance. I mean, I know it sounds way out because football, they've been playing football for so long. And I don't think very many of us can imagine waking up during football season and not yeah. being in football the way that we've experienced it through our lives. But with the technology and with the gamers, um, the injuries, I think as parents begin to look at that, you know, and where it starts is Little League. So if the parents begin to pull their kids away from the Little League football, then there's really no pipeline for those kids to go through college then professionally. Um, and I'm not saying this would happen tomorrow, no. but I can see, you know, somewhere down the line where this could potentially, you know, be uh, a reality. And, um, you know, I played football and I loved it. And... I just think that, you know, unfortunately, that could be a reality due to the injuries, um, unless there's some equipment that will really, really uh, prohibit getting those significant and serious injuries. So um, I can see that. I think it comes down to two major things, right? It's one, is there a market for it? And is it going to be profitable? Um, one interesting thing I remember I was I tuned in and I'm not a huge video gamer. As you know, I never have been. But my generation is huge in the video games. During quarantine, when sports were kind of at a halt, they were doing where they had the NFL players playing each other in Madden. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And it was broadcasted on ESPN. And I wasn't huge on it, but I know there was a decent following for it and people watched it. And I was like, this is crazy. We're watching someone play digital sports. But like you said, I mean, was that a glimpse of the future? 
Um, are the sports stars now going to become the people who do them with controllers as opposed to guys like Walter Payton and Tom Brady? Um, can't believe I mentioned Tom Brady. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but the other factor, one, is there a market for it? Is it profitable? And two, what does it come at the opportunity cost of, right? I think in this case, it's the opposite. There is less of an opportunity cost and more of an advantage and opportunity in general because they have to pay players, right? We have to pay players however much. There's a minimum in the NFL, NBA, and all these leagues. There's injuries. There's a revenue sharing collective bargaining agreement. I mean, if we make this thing digital, we just got to pay the computer guys to figure it out and we can take all of that revenue. So realistically, there's more of an opportunity to do so. I think it's, it's still a, a bit far out. I think at the end of the day, NFL, NBA, and MLB still have such a large fan base that they're long ways away from doing away with that. But as your generation gets older, my generation becomes the main consumer who's really big into you know, video games and, you know, the digital media and entertainment industry, you know, I don't, I don't know how far away from it we are, but I hope, cause I'm not, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> you got a little excited, huh? <laughs> I would hope because I'm not huge on, you know, the video games and things like that, that we are quite a ways away. Um, but also, let's look at this, though. And I, I don't know, it, it may not be that it take it all the way. But, you know, now you got those holograms. I mean, you got so much to where it could become a, a, a reality. And I know, like I said, I'm thinking years down the road. But as I, you know, see these things and I get this hunch that some of these sports, if they begin to lose revenue um, yeah. just because of how, how much you have to pay uh, a player, the injuries, and all the different things that happen, um, I can see that becoming something that, you know, some of these sports owners begin to say, well, let's, you know, let's take a look at that. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know how it would shake out, what it would look like, but I think there's some possibilities. And it may be something that could happen simultaneously. It may not necessarily that it would cut out the entire, um, you know, use of human beings to play the sport. But it may be now you have the virtual aspect of it as well as the physical. Um, and that can be done simultaneously where you have now people, everyday citizens who can participate and be engaged from the virtual standpoint. So I think the opportunities are there and, you know, it's really interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. Last little word on that. I remember when I was working at the Boys and Girls Club, um, what was it, three, four summers ago, um, the kids, I remember these kids were sitting on the bench. And it sounded like I could hear the sound of whatever they were watching on their phones. And I, I thought it was like a football game, but it was like one in the afternoon. I'm like, it's not a football game on right now. I went up there and looked and they were watching these Twitch streamers who were playing Madden football, uh, the video game. And I was like, this is crazy. Like this, this is where we're at. This is where we're going. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see. And I hope that, you know, the traditional form of sports becomes safer to where we don't lose that, you know, I guess faction. Human element. Yeah, we don't lose the human element because that's 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 our history. You know, we've had the Olympics since you know who knows how long. I imagine the first sport was hey, who can run from this tree to that tree the fastest? You know what I mean? And I don't want to lose that because it feels it feels like it brings us back to reality. Because as much as I think there's an opportunity with these you know with the digitization of sports and the revenue that can be had there, I do think there is something 
real about watching, you know, a guy dunk or watching someone run 10 seconds in a hundred meter. There's something that feels, you know what I mean? And I, I'm getting passionate about it because I love sports, but I don't know. And I think we can have them both at the same time. I know the Warriors, they actually have an esports team where they have people who play the video game, I believe League of Legends, or is it World of Warcraft? I don't know which one, I'm not a video gamer, but they have people who play, they have a 2K, an NBA 2K team, which is the NBA basketball video game. Um, so I think they can go hand in hand. Right. Yeah, um, I think Magic Johnson, from what I understand, had invested in a, you know, an esports team and other, you know, sports organizations. So um, it's there and it's happening simultaneously. Um, will it remain a balance? Or will one, I mean, well, the physical is superseding the, the, the virtual at this point, but, you know, will they become more balanced or will the virtual become the more dominant in the future? So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Another big, I guess, development within revenue generation in sports is betting in sports. Now, I want to get your perspective. I've grown up and I mean, I've never, I've been paying attention to sports for a while now, and I feel like betting has been a part of it but within recent years it's really started to pick up and you saw the online betting and you know the vegas sports books and things like that that people get on and they can do you know from their mobile phone what was sports betting like when you were growing up i mean i know you probably didn't partake in it but what was the what was the atmosphere around it i mean it was one of those things it was kind of the backdoor stuff not something that was publicly talked about or even considered, you know, and you had years where you had, you know, accusations and people throwing and betting on games. So it was kind of the dark side of sports. But now with many states legalizing gambling or betting on sports and the leagues are actually allowing them to participate in that um, or sharing or somewhere there's a participation from the leagues. It's open to the public. And it's now something that's more acceptable. Back in the day, it was it wasn't so acceptable, you know, betting on anything unless you was in Vegas playing the shot machines or craps or blackjack. But in most society, gambling and betting was something that was looked down upon. And so now it seems to be more acceptable and something that you know um, the public will, is, is is willing to accept and participate in in general. Yeah, that's interesting. I know when I watch like media from a long time ago and they talk about betting in general and sports, I remember we were watching, I can't remember what movie it was, but we were watching something where they were doing the numbers. <laughs> it was like the early 19th or 20th century and they was doing the numbers where literally you just, they wrote down a number, you pick which one you think was gonna get selected out of a hat or whatever and whoever won the numbers got the pot. Well, I was reading where, and I can't remember, but it was a gentleman from the Caribbean who actually started the numbers um, in Harlem. And it was that then it was called policy. And so basically it's like do the lottery today. You know, you go down, you get your numbers, people give their money. And, you know, at the end of the day or end of the week, they'd call those numbers and you'd hit. Yeah. At that point, it was illegal. Mm -hmm. So now you look up doing the same exact thing. <laughs> yeah, mega millions, the lotto. The lotto, you know, the lottery. And so those type of things, you always see these things that begin in you know a small part of the world or a small area and grow and proliferate and become something major once you know mainstream figured out how to monetize it for themselves 
Uh, so, um, one thing you brought up about sports betting that was interesting was I remember I do well, I don't remember I wasn't around but I've heard stories about like referees and certain players throwing games or point shaving and stuff like that and that was a problem I wouldn't say we've seen too many recent events that have you know been talked about I know people have conspiracy theories about it <laughs> including you yeah that 2011 <laughs> Dallas Mavericks and uh Miami Heat uh LeBron Hey, LeBron, I just said it didn't look good. Hey. LeBron, if you're listening, I know it was just a tough series, my guy. I know you just struggled, man. I know no, I, hey. I can't. I can't believe you didn't throw it. I don't believe it. <laughs> hey, it didn't look good. Hey, half the time I didn't even see that dude on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the point I'm bringing up is that as we things go digital, as let's say we're talking about betting on two Madden players, um, you know, how do we? Because, I mean, there's some hackers that are very good about this stuff. How do we know that, you know, some hackers may not go in and manipulate things to make sure that they get, you know, what they need or that things go a certain way? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess there will be, like anything else, some regulations to be able to test their controllers or their whatever. And, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to be in the same place or if they're, you know, somewhere out remotely, then that, that will be a little more difficult. So... I don't know. I don't know enough about that to to really give a good response. But, you know, it's possible. Um, you know, so, um, yeah. It's funny. We talk about this, the future of sports in general. But as I think about it, we I mean, we're really talking about the future of entertainment. You know what I mean? I mean, we won't have concerts for at least a while. Not that I can imagine uh, where we're talking about putting 50,000, 40,000 people in a building to watch a singer or an artist or a rap group or anything like that. Um, so they have to also try to innovate and do things differently. So as we talk about the future of sports and their revenue generation, it's really the future of entertainment. Mm -hmm. And it'd be interesting point. to see. And I know it was interesting this quarantine when we saw like, excuse me, I know we saw like letter, uh, not Letterman, um, what's the guy, Jimmy Fallon, his late night show, and they were doing them virtually and they were Zooming people and, you know, they were having them on there. And it was like, I remember me and you were saying like, I mean, we could really stick with this. I mean, it seems like this may save a lot of money. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you're still kind of pulling in the same numbers viewing wise, but you're saving money on operations. You don't need as many people working in the crew. I mean, it was, it was literally Jimmy Fallon in his house with his laptop and he was doing the show. And that was kind of it. Uh, I wonder the future of sports in terms of the amount of people we need to work you know the industry well with technology anytime technology advances in an industry it definitely diminishes the amount of labor in the workforce that's there so um that'll definitely happen as technology continues to advance in that particular uh industry so um i i i don't i don't question it it's just what other opportunities that'll come about as a result of the advancement te of technology as we're seeing and so there will be ample opportunities for other people, and particularly the smaller guys, to get in and participate on whatever level that is. Virtually, um, you know, it, it gives them access. It gives us access that we wouldn't ordinarily have. So I think there's some give and some take. As opportunities are taken away, other opportunities are presented that allows, you know, to kind of balance out on some level. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I mean, uh, we talked about this before. 
I think one of the biggest things, because as we mentioned, some of the pitfalls of the betting, for instance, is people hacking and maybe being able to manipulate things, but cybersecurity, not just in the entertainment industry, but just in general, cybersecurity seems to be something that's going to be a huge sector of jobs and things like that. I can almost picture it being like, you know, in the industrial revolution where everybody was working in factories where that was, you know, 60 to 70% of the workforce or whatever. Um, I personally would, that would be terrible for me. I don't, I'm not a huge computer person. I don't like, you know, typing or being in front of computers like that. Um, but I just, I, I feel like I see that coming. I have this kind of dystopian view in my eyes of like, everybody's just sitting at these computers and there's thousands of us just sitting there typing. Well, I think too, um, and just knowing people that work in the computer industry, it's not like you gotta be, you know, all day, but you have your computers set to where if certain things happen, you know, it alerts you, you know, yeah. certain it triggers and there's thresholds that allows you to, okay, let, let me take a look at this, what's going on, where opposed to sitting there and all day long glued into your computer and desktop. Um, so, but there is definitely a need. And I was talking to someone today about that in the education and setting up um, facilities um, to train and educate people to go into cybersecurity. You don't necessarily need a degree um, to do mm. these things. You need certifications and training. And over time, you develop the skill and aptitude to be able to uh, provide those services. And those jobs start out, you know, most of them high, you know, um, high um, five figures up into the six figures. So it's an opportunity to where if you're not necessarily interested in going to college, uh, These are ways in which you can kind of build a workforce with the training, the proper training and getting them involved uh, to provide these services because there's a big demand for it. Yeah, it's funny because it's like I think about the cyclical nature of things. and I'm like, I remember when well, I don't remember once again, but I've you know read or heard about times when, you know, you could pick up a trade, whether it be plumbing or electrician or. I don't know anything. You was a carpenter and you could support a whole family on that where, you know, the you know, your spouse didn't need to go to work because you could support, you know, your whole family on just your salary of being an electrician. And we've gotten to the point where those trades are have not, I wouldn't say been devalued, but at least that, to the point to where you can't really support a full family on just that salary or something like that. I wonder if we're heading kind of, like I said, cycling back around to where that's the case with a lot of these cybersecurity or you know techno technology jobs because there's like you said such a great demand for them yeah i mean i'm hoping so uh i know it appears that we're at this threshold where our economic systems are shifting you know our banking system the cryptocurrency you know cybersecurity, all these things are becoming more digital um opposed to physical what does that look like what does that mean and how do we maneuver in those spaces? So that's the thing that I'm looking at and really trying to get a better understanding of because as I you know, look to build and develop cities and communities, those are things that you know, are constantly on my mind. How do people make a living? You know, how are people gonna gain access to the things they need? What are those opportunities so that they can do those things and uh, have the quality of life that they desire uh, in the process? So um, I think we, in the best and the worst of times at this point, because I think we're at that, you know, at that tipping point of, you know, shifting uh, into something different. And, and, and the shift is difficult because we're used to doing things a certain way. Um, but once we get through that tough part, 
you know, I'm hoping that, you know, things will be uh, brighter uh, and that people will have those opportunities and have the skills to be able to participate. Um, but again, as we talked about in the previous episode, you know, it's in the intent, you know, with the technology, the intent and how that's used to, for good or for bad, you know, how are you going to use it and manipulate it, um, you know, moving forward? Yeah, I mean, all in all, I mean, I think that's kind of the show in a nutshell for today is that society and our world is changing fast, rapidly. All of our systems and the way we do things are, are looking a lot different and they're going to continue to look more different given, you know, how this past year and just, you know, the past or how things have changed in general. Um, I think there's always going to be room for sports because it's entertainment. Some, you know, people like to be entertained and that opportunity to entertain them through sports will always be there. But I think the way we do it is, is going to have to change and it is changing. Um, but that, that also leaves great opportunities. So, yeah. And I think just as human beings, we're social. And so we want and we thrive and crave those social interactions. So I think that'll always be there. It's just, it may look different than how we do it now. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, that's the episode for today. Uh, we discussed the future of sports kind of within the greater future of our society and where does it fit in? Um, and we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hope you've enjoyed all of our episodes and hope you keep tuning in. Um, and once again, thank you. Peace. All right, that'll wrap up today's episode. Glad we could take a moment to put you up on game. We post a new podcast every Sunday morning. Now you know. Peace.